You may be seated. Guys, I believe we are in a holy moment right now. Do you feel it? Only Ricardo feels it? I woke up yesterday with a fire in my belly and not indigestion. I Normally, I wake up and man, I am like, uh, on Saturdays, I'm like, oh, I have to preach tomorrow. Oh, Lord, please give me something to say. You know, like... But yesterday I woke up and I just immediately was like, I cannot wait for church tomorrow. There's something in this place today that the Lord began before today. And uh, I just want to put that out there. Um, It's Father's Day. And I just want to say Happy Father's Day to all the dads in the place Happy Father's Day to all the men of influence. We had our uh, our first men's breakfast in a while yesterday, and and it was it was awesome. And I was proud to sit at this really long table of about 15, 20 guys that are fighting for the abundant life that God has for them, for their families, and for themselves, and for their children. And and guys, I just want to throw this out there. I didn't plan on saying this, but I just want to throw this out there. There is a whole generation of fatherless and motherless kids out there right now. There, there is a ge- I mean, that has been an issue for years and years and years. But more so than ever, there are kids that don't have godly parents to look up to right now. And you don't have to be a natural born father or mother. You don't have to give, ha, take place in, in uh, creating a child to be a mother or father to a child. There's way too many mother and fatherless children out there. There's a whole generation. I just would ask you as a church, open your heart to those who are fatherless and motherless. Psalm 68, 5 says, that God is, is a father to the fatherless. And that's who we need to introduce this fatherless generation to. And you don't have to create a child to do that. Amen? Okay. Alright. I got that out of the way. <laughs> well, let's jump right in. We're beginning a new... Uh, sermon series this morning called Unknown Stories of Grace. And uh, we, we as human beings have this powerful desire to be known. Would you agree? I mean, just look through social media. There's all kinds of teenage girls making duck faces with selfies, you know, like we have this desire. We have this desire to be known, right? Even some dudes making some duck faces, which doesn't make sense to me, but but like uh, we have this incredibly powerful desire to be known. Since the beginning of time, people have found that telling stories is one of the most effective ways to communicate about who they are and what they've been through in their lifetime. Ancient people drew on stones and walls so that someone somewhere might know their story and preserve it. 
But somewhere along the way, we as a society, we kind of decided that, you know, we're, we, we wanted to focus our attention on uh, people who are more interesting than us, right? Than, than more interesting than we are, like movie stars, musicians, politicians, athletes are constantly in the news because people want to know about them because they, they live, they seem, their lives seem more interesting than ours. I mean, why do you think we have so many gossip TV shows like TMZ, right? T, like, we, we have all these gossip TV shows because people love to hear the stories of those they deem more interesting than themselves. And don't get me wrong, I believe hearing the stories of others is, is a wonderful thing. But when we focus it all on celebrities and politicians... We're missing it. Every person in this room, uh, yeah, I'm looking at you. You, right? Every person in this room is, a, is unique and has a one-of-a-kind story that is worth telling. You may not even realize it, but your story has the power to impact the story of others. And specifically those of us who are already believers, our grace stories are one of the most effective tools we have to reach out to those who are feeling lost. And maybe you're sitting there like, well, I, 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 don't, I don't really have a grace story yet. I, I just came because I heard there were donuts. Um, and that's okay. That's cool. You know, I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I mean, I'm so glad you're here. Like, that just means that your grace story is still unfolding. And we are so stoked to have you here. Please have a donut on me. <laughs> right? <sighs> but it's not just TMZ that tends to focus on you know, celebrity, the celebrity side of things. Even the Bible kind of has its own celebrities. And what I mean by that are, is that there are these big, impactful, wonderful accounts of like Noah's Ark. Right? And Moses parting the Red Sea, and David, and Goliath, and Daniel, and the lion's den, and Zacchaeus, and the wee little man, right? Is the wee little man. Some of these examples are so well known that even non believers know them and probably could give you the gist of the story. Stories like these are incredibly meaningful and hold tons of power for our lives, but the Bible is full of so, so, so much more. And sometimes we tend to only scratch the surface. So we're starting a new sermon series, like I said, Unknown Stories of Grace. And our goal with this series is to bring to light some lesser known accounts of grace from the Bible to help us remember that whether you are famous or not, every grace story matters, including yours. So today I'm going to share with you an incredibly beautiful story that is tucked away neatly in the, in the book of 2 Samuel and it's so tucked away so neatly you could read right by it and not think twice about it. I think this person's story would actually be a lot more famous if it wasn't for the fact that he has a totally unmarketable name. His name is Mephibosheth. See what I mean? Like no kid in, his, in the history of life has ever laid down in bed, right? And like pulled the covers up to their chin and said like, Mama, Mama, tell me the story of Mephibosheth. <laughs> right? Like 
I don't know why that girl was Southern, but I don't know. But it just doesn't happen, right? It, Noah, yes. Like every church nursery has Noah's Ark in it, right? Like Noah, yes. Daniel, yes. Mephibosheth, no. Mostly because no one knows how to say his name correctly. So, so let's all learn together, right? Let's, let's learn together. Let's do a little sounded out action here. Here we go. Meh. Fib. O. Chef. Meh. Fib. O. Chef. Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. Not to be confused with his uncle, Ishbosheth. <laughs> I'm just curious, does anyone actually know the story of Mephibosheth already? Yeah? Yeah? All right. You guys might need to pray because you have some pride issues, I think. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just totally kidding. Uh, Mephibosheth's stories. Mephibosheth's story is actually kind of short. But to understand it properly, I need to tell the backstory as well. So before we dive into Mephibosheth, we have to backtrack a little bit and talk about some other dudes. So here we go. After God brought the Israelites out of Egypt and into their promised land, Israel had no king. They called this period the time of judges, where they had different people who were prophets and warriors govern the nation, but ultimately God was the king of Israel. And things stayed like that for many years until the people of Israel decided that they actually wanted a human king like all the other countries had, right? And so Samuel, who was one of the last and most beloved judges, um, heard Israel's cry for a king and he felt rejected. But God was quick to tell Samuel, it's not you that they have rejected, it's me. They've rejected me as their king. So God tells Samuel to give the people of Israel what they want, but not before warning them of all the things that come along with having an earthly king. Samuel basically says to the people of Israel, look, you don't know what you're asking for. You want to be like the other nations and have an earthly king, but you don't understand how good you have it with God as your king. But the people of Israel wouldn't listen, and eventually God and Samuel chose a man named Saul to become Israel's first earthly king. Saul started out strong, but would ultimately end up uh, greatly displeasing God by ignoring instructions that God had given him. So, in his anger, God removed his blessing from Saul and chose another man who would rise up to take Saul's place. And his name was... David, right? And he is one of those Christian celebrities that we're talking about. Everybody knows David, right? I, um, David was a shepherd and the youngest of a large family. Some of David's older brothers were soldiers in, in King Saul's army. And one day David's father asked him to take some food to his brothers and see how they were doing out on the front lines, right? And David, as his father requested, Went, But when he arrived, he found the Israelite army cowering in fear because of a man named Goliath. Goliath was taunting the Israelite army saying, if any one of you can defeat me, we'll all be your slaves, right? And, and it was King Saul to kind of take up that, it, it was his job to take up that challenge, but he was too afraid, just like everybody else. And, and David's, David views Goliath's challenge 
as an insult to the armies of the living God and as a challenge to God himself. So with all eyes on him, David decides he's not going to let this man or any other man insult God. David takes up some smooth stones from a nearby brook and has a sling and heads for the front lines. You probably know how the rest of the story goes, right? Goliath continues to talk trash and David ain't having it, right? And so he, he gives this amazing speech in, in uh, 1 Samuel 17, 45 through 47, where he tells Goliath and the Philistine army, and this is like the perfect Father's Day passage right here, because it's all like, you know, like, uh, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword or spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into my hands. Pretty great, right? I think they used that as inspiration for the Braveheart speech. (laughs) And God does just that. David takes out this nine-foot monster of a man with a sling and a single stone. And true to his word, David cuts off Goliath's head and all of Israel is amazed. So far, if you know the Bible, this is all pretty common knowledge, right? But stay with me. After this amazing event takes place, David is taken before King Saul. So Saul could kind of find out more about him, find out where he's from and who, what, what his family's like. And as he's speaking to Saul's, uh, as he's speaking to Saul, Saul's firstborn son and heir to the throne of Israel, Jonathan, immediately feels this like intense bond with David. The Bible says that Jonathan loved David as his own soul. King Saul took David in and he and Jonathan made a covenant. And covenant is a pact between at least two people, which in essence means the two become one in spirit. They are one. If you mess with one, you mess with the other. This, is the, this was a, like a big deal in the Old Testament. And breaking a covenant came with huge consequences. And so by making covenant with David, Jonathan, son of the king, is saying from here on out, we are connected. Jonathan would eventually give David his robe, armor, sword, bow, and belt. Though Jonathan may have been unaware of it at the time, this could have been symbolic of the fact that David would later become king and not Jonathan, who was the rightful heir. King Saul would eventually become extremely jealous of David because of of the Lord's favor on his life. And the people of Israel began to regard David as a great leader and warrior, even above King Saul. Saul's jealousy grew and grew until he was ready to burst with rage. The king was so filled with jealousy that he tried to assassinate David a few different times. But but one of the last times, Jonathan, Saul's son, warned him in advance and David was able to escape. Sometime later, 
Israel is at war with the Philistines again. And Jonathan, along with most of Saul's other sons, were killed. And rather than be captured, King Saul, in fear of what the Philistines might do to him, falls on his own sword and dies. And even despite their differences, when David finds out what happened, David mourns the loss of Saul and his dear friend David. I mean, his dear friend Jonathan. David's doing the mourning. Right, okay. So this is right around the time that our boy Mephibosheth enters the the story. Say it with me. Mephibosheth. One more time. Mephibosheth. All right, here we go. Jonathan. uh, Jonathan had a son, and his name was Mephibosheth. So that would have made King Saul Mephibosheth's grandpa. In 2 Samuel 4.4, we read Mephibosheth was five years old when the news of his father, Jonathan, and King Saul's death reached his household. And the person who was Mephibosheth's caretaker, now you got me, me messing it up. Mephibosheth. Here we go. Mephibosheth's caretaker scooped him up uh, because they were afraid that people were going to come after the rest of the house of Saul. And uh, as they were fleeing... She scooped him up and, and she fell. And, and five-year-old Mephibosheth fell with him and broke his legs. And from that day on, he was handicapped. And not because of anything that he had done, just because that was the hand he was dealt. Which goes to show that even back then, life wasn't fair. And in chapter 5, in Second Samuel, David is finally anointed king of Israel. As the official new leader of the nation, David then goes to work defeating a multitude of Israel's enemies. The Bible says that the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. All of Israel's, after all of Israel's victories, David begins to take stock and remember the covenant he made with his dear friend Jonathan, right? And uh, that's where we pick up our scripture today is David is, is taking a break and he's resting, and, and he, uh, he begins to remember that covenant that he made with his friend Jonathan. And, and that's where we pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 9, 1 through 12. 2 Samuel 9, 1 through 12. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? Sounds like a slang word. Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his legs. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Makur, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Makur, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. 
And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore uh, to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. So let's set the scene. You have King David on the throne of Israel because of the Lord's favor. He's just like stomping out all of the nation of Israel's enemies. He gets to a place where he can finally rest up a bit and he begins to take kind of stock of his life and he's missing his friend Jonathan and remembering the covenant they made and David begins to wonder if there's anyone left in Saul's family so that he can honor Jonathan by showing them kindness. The king calls forth the former servant of Saul, Ziba. Probably unsure if he was in danger, Ziba comes before King David and much to his relief, King, king David just wants information. Ziba tells him about Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, who was crippled from a young age and the, and the, king's, uh, the king sends for Mephibosheth. Probably thinking he was going to be executed, right? Mephibosheth comes before King David and falls to his face and says, Behold, I am your servant. As if to say, I'm yours to do with what you will, but just please don't kill me. Seeing Mephibosheth's fear, David eases his nerves and says, Because of my relationship with your father, I have decided to show you kindness. Take back all the land that belonged to your grandfather, King Saul, and I want you to eat at my table from now on. Like, just think about that for a minute. Put yourself in Mephibosheth's shoes. Like, can you imagine being Mephibosheth at that point? Like, you've been crippled since a young age. And in our society today, that's super tough, but... Basically, back then, that made you a complete outcast. And you have lived most of your life in fear that people may come to kill you at any point, not because of anything that you've done, but because of who your family was. Mephibosheth probably hadn't been shown a ton of kindness in his life. It was probably pretty easy for him to get discouraged and to be tempted to have a pity party for himself. Because after all, he himself had done nothing wrong. It was just that life, it was just the life that he'd been given. But little did Mephibosheth know that God's grace was for him, not against him. God's grace was for him, not against him. So when one day 
out of the blue, Mephibosheth gets called before King David. He has to be thinking, well, that's it. Well, jigs up. He knows who I am now. Today is probably as good as any, any day to die. So he throws himself at the feet of the king, pleading mercy. But the king says, fear not. I am for you, not against you. I want you at my table as if you were one of my own sons. Can you imagine how shocked Mephibosheth must have been? This was not what he expected to happen. He came expecting to pay for his family's sins and was made a son. Just as the troubles in Mephibosheth's life, grace came to him not because of anything he had done, but because of who his father was. Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan, which means he was created a son of the would-be king. But when Saul and Jonathan died and David was named king, that right to be a son of the king was removed from him. But God restored Mephibosheth to who he was born to be. Not because of anything he had done, but because of who his father was. Isn't that just like God? God is in the business of bringing restoration. He knows who you were created to be. You were created to be a son or a daughter of the living God, the King. And despite what you may feel like in this moment, His grace is for you, not against you. In fact, He sent His one and only Son to die on a cross, to wipe away your every sin so that you could reclaim your seat at the King's table. Anybody feel like amen in that? We need to be an amening church. Brian and I were talking about this last night. Alright. I'm going to say it again. And then you're going to say amen. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Okay? In fact, He sent His one and only Son to die on a cross to wipe away your every sin so that you could reclaim your seat at the King's table. That's right. For those of you that haven't accepted the grace of Jesus before, I want to give you that opportunity right now. Mark, will you please just come back to the piano, please? I want to give you the opportunity to accept Jesus right now if you haven't ever done that before. Um, I wasn't planning on doing this this week, but the Lord really stirred my heart. And... uh, I'm being faithful to what He's called me to do. Maybe it's through no fault of your own, but you're sitting there and you're just like, I don't know how my life got to this place. I don't know. I don't know how I got here. Maybe it's through no fault of your own, or maybe it's because of some mistakes that you've made in the past. Or maybe it's because of some mistakes that you keep making. Maybe you just feel like you're hiding 
waiting anxiously, knowing that one day, knowing that one day, you will be found out. If you feel the Lord speaking to your heart right now, and if you feel like any of this is resonating with you, and you have not accepted Jesus before, and I believe, I believe that there are those here today that this message was meant for. You need to hear that you are a son and a daughter of the King. And He wants you at His table. And nothing you could ever do will quench His love for you. Nothing you could ever do will make Him love you less. His grace is sufficient for you and you could never buy it. You can never find it in material things. You can never find it in a relationship. Only the relationship with the King, your Father. Paul, can you bring the lights down just a little bit? I want to give you the opportunity to accept, to reclaim your seat at the table right now. So if you're ready, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And I, and I actually just want to have everybody in the room pray it out loud to ease any awkwardness that someone who's praying it for the first time might feel. But pray it deep from your heart if this is the first time you're praying this prayer. So let's pray together out loud. Repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner. I ask your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Guide my life and help me to do your will. In your name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today to accept Jesus into your heart, please let somebody know about it. A friend, someone who can walk alongside this new unbelievable journey that's about to unfold in your life. I would love to partner with you through this journey. We are so excited for you and we want to celebrate you because your grace story is unfolding. It's unfolding. But maybe you're already a believer and you've kind of lost your way and your relationship with God has become distant. Maybe you have some unconfessed sin in your life or maybe you just need to own up to the fact that God hasn't been a priority for you. I want you to know the same thing that we said before. There's nothing you could ever do to make Him love you less. If you're 
ready. If you're ready to reestablish this relationship with God, to begin living a life in relationship with Him daily, again, I want us to pray this prayer out loud all together because I believe that there, there are there's power in speaking these words out loud. So would you all pray together with me? Merciful God, I have sinned in what I have thought and said in the wrong I have done in the good I have not done. I have sinned in ignorance. I have sinned in weakness. I have sinned through my own deliberate fault. I am truly sorry. I repent and turn to you now. Forgive me. And through the blood of Jesus, renew my life to the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. Each of us has been invited to the Lord's table, to the Lord's supper. So I feel like it's only appropriate that we remember Jesus as he asked us to remember him in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 23 through 26. The Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again that new covenant still holds true today just like David honoring his covenant with Jonathan long after he was gone, the Lord Jesus is still honoring his covenant with you. Because Jesus' body was broken and his blood was spilled on the cross so that we could have our every sin washed away and we could be in right relationship, right standing with the Father again. His grace is for us not against us. So would you come and take communion? Come and remember what Isaiah 53, 5 says, but He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He, the punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. Come and remember that your seat at the table is yours, not by anything that you have done, but because of who your Father is and because of His great love for you. So we're going to take communion now.
And we haven't taken communion and service for a while, so I want to give you some brief instructions. There are two stations on both sides of the stage. Come up. Well, first, take your time. If you want to spend a few moments in prayer while the piano plays, if you want to talk to someone, if you want to ask for prayer, there are many people here who would love to pray with you. And it wouldn't be weird. I'm just going to throw that out there. When you're ready, come forward. Take the cup and the bread and bring it back to your seat. And as you feel led with your wife, by yourself, however you want to do it, as you feel led, partake in the Lord's uh, Supper. So would you come? about Mephibosheth and I actually wasn't planning on sharing this but a long time later after Mephibosheth has eaten at the king's table many times the king has to go in hiding from his son Absalom and Ziba the servant of Saul deceives David. He goes out to where he is at war and and he says, Mephibosheth is planning on taking over the kingdom, taking back what's rightfully his. And David says, well, all right then, Now, now I give all the land that was his to you. And so Mephibosheth finally sees David. David comes back from hiding. And Mephibosheth hasn't taken care of himself at all. His beard is a mess. He probably looked like a homeless person. He he hadn't taken care of his body since the day that David left to go into hiding. And he explains that Ziba had deceived David. And that He had been doing nothing but waiting for his return and praying. And and David says, well, in that case, I will have you guys split the land. You take half of what was your grandfather's and Ziba will keep half. And Mephibosheth says this amazing thing, and I really want you to catch this. He says, I don't even care about the land. Let him have it all. Let him have it all. Just don't deny me a seat at your table. Mephibosheth Mephibosheth loved his benefactor more than he loved the benefits of the benefactor. You get that? He loved the king more than he loved all the spoils that came along with being a son of the king. Do you love the king? Do you love your benefactor more than you love the benefits? Because he is so worthy of our love, people. 
He is so worthy of our praise. So would you just pray with me and thank God for what He did here today? Because I believe even if even if you didn't feel something big happen today, I feel like maybe things were birthed today that are going to come to fruition at some point. So would you just pray with me and thank God for what He's doing as the worship team comes. Father God, we thank You for what You're doing in this place, Lord. We thank You for being able to partner with where You want to go, Lord. Thank You for the the intimacy of relationship that we have as sons and daughters of You. Father, thank You. Thank You for the opportunity to reclaim our seat at Your table. revelation to our minds, Father. Lord, we honor you today. Thank you, thank you, thank you for calling us sons and daughters. You are our true, true Father. And we love you. And as the ushers come forward now, Lord, we, as we take our tithes and offering, Lord, you know the financial obstacles that our church is facing, Lord. You know better than most, Lord. And so, Father, we just bring back to you what is already yours, Lord. We give you what you have given to us, Lord. Because there is not a thing that we possess that you have not given us, Lord. And so we thank you and we give back to you what is already yours. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.